the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. It seems to me, thinking a bit with how we closed the show yesterday and a few other things going on right now, that the issue, the topic of education is back with us. It has ever been. It's just that sometimes conservatives have ignored it and sometimes they've achieved a small victory, maybe considered it a large one, and then moved on. All while the progressives not only whittled away at conservative reforms or those conservative victories, but continued forward marching and transforming large swaths of not only how we manage schools, but what we teach in them. Plato said the two most important questions a society can ask is A, who teaches the children, and B, what is it they are being taught? But what I'm trying to say is we go small and win small and go home. They go large, lose small occasionally, fix it to their satisfaction, then move on to continue their sweeping assaults on our country, our culture, and our children. And the vast majority of their work in reshaping our country and our culture is via our children. We are just beginning to grasp the enormity of it all when it comes to Florida. Who two years ago, who two months ago would have thought it controversial to keep five-year-olds from learning they can change their genders? Part of the problem is one I may not particularly be very helpful with. My standard view of anything shocking and newsworthy, newsworthy is that if something is too good to be true, it usually is. And if something is too awful to be true, it usually is. And it's a good rule when you think you might be looking at a conspiracy theory. And so many a parent would not even begin to think our children were being encouraged as young as age five five, to be subject to these kinds of very advanced, very new, very untested topics that are topics most parents thought would not be ripe for anything close to a five-year-old in the first place. It was a bridge too far to comprehend because it was a bridge few could see and much too novel to imagine. And yet, I can do this with any number of books, and there are a lot of them, but take the book Introducing Teddy, A Gentle Story About Gender Friendship. That's the title, Introducing Teddy, A Gentle Story About Gender and Friendship. This is but one that educators are now putting in our schools. Amazon describes it as for the youngest of readers and suggests it can be read starting at age three. Here's a description, quote, Errol and his teddy, Thomas, are best friends who do everything together, whether it's riding a bike, playing in the treehouse, having a tea party, or all of the above. Every day holds something fun to do. One sunny day, Errol finds that Thomas is sad, even when they are playing in their favorite ways. Errol can't figure out why until Thomas finally tells Errol what the teddy has been afraid to say. Quote, In my heart, I've always known that I'm a girl, Teddy, not a boy, Teddy, and I wish my name was Tilly, not Thomas. Close quote. Three-year-olds, three-year-olds, just but one 
of many potential possible examples I could give you. Today, major companies, including companies dedicated and famous for children's entertainment like Disney, fight against such things not being taught and do so openly and loudly. There's no quietus on it. There's no shame to it. That ought to tell you something about the dedication and rigor of what we're up against and how seriously the woke take take our opposition to something that would have been standard fare and not even contemplated two years ago by most, except the progressives. Once upon a time, we cared about this until it seems almost we were just overwhelmed. Think about the federal takeover of education, which began in the 1950s. Much of the new right or the modern conservative movement did care about this back in the day. William Buckley and National Review did, and Barry Goldwater did. And at first, our concern was schematic or process-oriented about the unconstitutionality of federalizing education. It was less about the content, as the content was pretty good in those days. What I wouldn't give to have those history textbooks back when you think about it or reading and math scores, for that matter. Today, as outsiders want to foist the sexualization of children on Florida up to the third grade, you have only 40% of their fourth graders at proficient proficient reading levels or above, 60% at about the D or F level, 30% at the illiterate level. 30% of fourth graders in Florida, illiterate. But up to grade three, they want them teaching about changing their genders. Barry Morris Goldwater wrote this as early as 1960 in his book, The Conscience of a Conservative. I'm going to quote for a bit. In the main, the trouble with American education is that we have put into practice the educational philosophy expounded by John Dewey and his disciples. In varying degrees, we have adopted what has been called progressive education, subscribing to the egalitarian notion that every child must have the same education, we have neglected to provide an educational system which will tax the talents and stir the ambitions of our best students and which will thus ensure us the kind of leaders we will need in the future. In our desire to make sure that our children learn to adjust to their environment, we have given them insufficient opportunity to acquire the knowledge that will enable them to master their environment. In our attempt to make education fun, we have neglected the academic disciplines that develop sound minds and are, condu- and are conducive to sound characters. Responding to the Dewey attack on methods of teaching, we have encouraged the teaching profession to be more concerned with how a subject is taught than with what is taught. Most important of all, in our anxiety to improve the world and ensure progress, we have permitted our schools to become laboratories for social and economic change according to the predilections of the professional educators. It's 1960, folks. Let me continue. We have forgotten that the proper function of the school is to transmit the cultural heritage of one generation to the next generation and to so train the minds of the new generation as to make them capable of absorbing ancient learning and applying it to the problem of its own day. The fundamental explanation of this distortion of values is that we have forgotten the purpose of education, or better, we have forgotten for whom education is intended. The function of our schools is not to educate or elevate society, but rather to educate individuals and to equip them with the knowledge that will enable them to take care 
of society's needs. We have forgotten that a society progresses only to the extent that it produces leaders that are capable of guiding and inspiring progress. And we cannot develop such leaders unless our standards of education are geared to excellence instead of mediocrity. We must give full reign to individual talents and we must encourage our schools to enforce the academic disciplines, to put preponderant emphasis on English, mathematics, history, literature, foreign languages, and the natural sciences. We should look upon our schools not as a place to train the whole character of the child, a responsibility that belongs to the family and the church, but to train his mind. Our country's past progress has been the result not of the mass mind applying average intelligence to the problems of the day, but of the brilliance and dedication of wise individuals who applied their wisdom to advance the freedom and the material well-being of all of our people. And so if we could improve education in America and advance the fortunes of freedom, we will not rush to the federal treasury with requests for money. We will focus attention on our local community and make sure that our schools are performing the job the nation has the right to expect of them. Close quote. There's your non-social conservative Barry Goldwater, he says with sarcasm. Though in that sarcasm, there may be the illustration of the problem. We did become unmoored from our anchors and thus our anchoring commitments and truths. And in the efforts to cleanse or sanitize so much of what we stood for to be more palatable or comfortable with the shifting tides of the culture, we neglected our first principles, including the first principles of the leaders of our movement when we weren't whitewashing them. Don't like the cultural issues? Cleanse our heroes of ever being focused on them. Another issue for another time, of course. <clears throat> but what the Ron DeSantis's of the world, and there aren't that many, what they are doing is reminding us of the things we used to know. At the end of his play, The Mino, Plato provides the argument that all learning is recall of things we used to know. Maybe that's why the rallied support for some of the most heroic in our constellation, conservatives, is in a constellation of conservatives like Reagan and Goldwater and Buckley and DeSantis, who were not afraid and found crucially important these cultural issues. And it's just been so darn long since we found leaders who, well, gave a darn about them. They saw society being remade, hence standing athwart history yelling stop. And recall it was Karl Marx's goal to rewrite, or in his words, change history. Same goal as Big Brother and the capital P Party in George Orwell's 1984. I don't know who said it, but I read today one conservative writing, quote, perhaps the most disturbing cultural trend I have seen in the last five years is the destruction of childhood innocence in an attempt to validate adults, close quote. Yes, but the trend is not five years old. It's attacking five-year-olds, and it's become more and more known in the past several years as we have begun to become aware of and rejoin the fight. But from Leo Strauss in the 1940s and Hannah Arendt in the 1950s and many others subsequently, the warning signs were around and the Cassandras were with us. But just as in ancient Greece, those Cassandras were ignored. Here's a quote quite the opposite of all that Barry Goldwater communicated above that I'd like to share. Quote, the pretense is that there really is no such thing as the United States. 
subject to occasional conflicts and quarrels, but fundamentally a community of people with common interests. It is as if there really is a national interest represented in the Constitution, in territorial expansion, in the laws passed by Congress, the decisions of the courts, the development of capitalism, the cultural of education, and the mass media, when there is not, close quote. Who wrote that? Howard Zinn, author of the most radical and revolutionary rewriting of our history up until about three years ago. You see, the effort there to disorient, calling our country a pretense, saying it doesn't really exist, doing its best to upset the settled in order not to unify, but to decouple us from our founding and common ethos. Then came the 1619 Project. But while Goldwater's warnings in 1960 went unheeded, Zinn's book became more and more adopted and de rigueur. Howard Zinn's history book about America was, we thought, about as bad as it could get. It's just over 40 years old. We weren't even close. Now, think about what we may be seeing about today's books and curricula 40 years from now, if we don't get our act together on behalf of maintaining, nay, saving childhood and ourselves. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good people at Midas Gold. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years. Today, it's a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. What you don't want are pushy commission salespeople to tell you why you should buy gold. You probably already want it. What you need or want is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion coins so you get what you want at the best value. That's Midas Gold Group, veteran-owned, proud supporters of America First and this show right here, the Seth Liebson Show. It's why I have gold and silver from Midas Gold. Seb Gorka does as well and thousands of you do. Check out Midas Gold Group at MidasGoldGroup.com or give them a call at 480-360-3000. Let me um, – I was just I, – I was picking myself up figuratively, picking myself up off the floor figuratively, <laughs> um, watching a thing with Jon Stewart and Andrew Sullivan. I don't, you'd be forgiven for not knowing those names. Andrew Sullivan is what you would call one of the last few traditional liberals. I don't know who's in that category that we could think of. Alan Dershowitz might be one. Is there Are there more than two? Can we think? He used to edit The New Republic. And um, and Jon Stewart, of course, used to have a massive show on Comedy Central, retired for a while, and now he's back with a show on Apple TV where he called, John, he called Andrew Sullivan a racist, uh, a racist because he doesn't support the current woke agenda and th- doesn't believe that America is a systemically racist country. So the answer was to call him a racist. Um, okay, that's the world we live in. That's John Stewart. Everyone was, not everyone, a lot of people were jumping for joy when he was schooling Steve Colbert on the issue of where the Wuhan virus came from. But, um, you know, just be careful with these allies that you think because they say one thing you agree with, or maybe two, or maybe three, just be careful. Just be careful, for I still maintain if there's doubt, there's no doubt, but also give them time. Where are they on the important stuff? 
how important was it for John Stewart to acknowledge that the Wuhan virus indeed came from Wuhan? Not very. How important is it for someone like John Stewart to be part of the cause that teaches 20-somethings and 30-somethings that they live in a bigoted and racist country because of all of our institutions being built on that? I would say quite a bit more in any event. Let me return back to Florida for a moment. This is a local television. Uh, no, it's not local. This is on MSNBC. This is a kindergarten teacher talking about what the signing of the latest legislation by the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, means. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's twofold. It really hits hard um, in my heart professionally and uh, personally both. Uh, professionally, it, it truly makes me feel like um, I am not trusted as a professional. Um, I know my kindergarten standards through and through, and um, nowhere in our curriculum does it have anything about um, teaching sexual orientation or sexual identity. Um, so for them to, to say that, that, that that's happening, um, that, you know, it's kind of crazy. Um, but uh, we should be able to have discussions, and, and that's what we're encouraged to do in kindergarten. And then personally, because... Um, you know, my, my kids do have questions. They want to know who the, uh, my partner is in pictures yeah. outside of my classroom, and I should be able to speak to that. So, so do you worry that you won't even be able to talk about your own personal home life? I mean, I, I have a child in kindergarten right now. I know exactly that my, my child has two teachers, one of which has a daughter at home um, and is single. The other is married and has four children. I, I know everything about their lives because my kid tells me. Absolutely. You are 100% correct. Um, that's what we do as educators. We build relationships with our kids. And in order to build relationships, you talk about your home life. You talk about what you do on the weekends. That's building community. I It scares me to death that I am not going to be able to have these conversations with my children because they're going to ask me what I did on the weekend. I don't want to have to hide that my partner and I went paddleboarding this weekend. It scares me to death that I'm not going to be able to have these conversations with my children. They're not his children, first of all, with the children in his classroom. I don't want to have to hide that my partner and I went paddleboarding this weekend. And if you read the legislation, he would not have to be hiding that. But a lot of categorical errors here because I literally knew nothing about my teachers' personal lives or what they did on the weekends, and it was just fine, and most didn't. And if the idea is that he's not going to be able to share his love life and what he does outside of school and in his home with his partner, with five-year-olds, if that's the crime here, I'm sorry. That's a crime he created. It's not a crime not to talk about those things with kindergartners. A lot of kindergartners don't need to know what their kindergartner teacher's doing at home with their lover. I'm sorry. There are other ways to build communities. We seem to have done a pretty good job of it until now. And now it's unwinding because these teachers think they are their children. They are not. The notion that he can't be trusted, we'll talk about later. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, brought to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. At what point does Joe Biden's verbal incontinence start to become a mortal threat to Americans? This is a question Gerard Baker asks in the Wall Street Journal. Until now, he writes, we've mostly had the luxury of observing the president's many rhetorical infelicities with a mixture of mild puzzlement 
and gentle concern, as one might watch an aging relative struggle to remember the name of one's children. But some words have larger consequences than others, especially when you're the president of the United States. It's one thing to misidentify your vice president as the first lady, quite another to call for the ouster of an autocratic and bellicose leader of a nation with nuclear weapons. That is the kind of thing that can trigger wars that could result in the annihilation of much of humanity. It's a sign of the rising alarm the presidential blunders must be causing in diplomatic circles that the White House communications shop has stopped attempting to correct the gaffes that come flying like a grape shot from a cannon. Instead, they take the Humpty Dumpty approach. Instead of issuing corrections or clarifications of Mr. Biden's words, they simply invoke Humpty's philosophy on the president's behalf. Whenever I use a word, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. That's from what Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass, right? This exercise in Through the Looking Glass semantics was on display last week throughout the president's trip to Europe, where he sought to rally allies in support of Ukraine and against Russian aggression. At the NATO headquarters in Brussels on Thursday, Mr. Biden was asked what the U.S. would do if Vladimir Putin used chemical weapons in Ukraine. He said we would respond in kind. You might think, deploying commonly understood definitions, that he meant to convey the somewhat shocking threat that NATO would retaliate against the use of weapons of mass destruction with a like attack. But you'd be wrong. Later, Jake Sullivan, the president's national security advisor, said that while Russia would pay a heavy price if it used such weapons, the U.S. had no intention of using chemical weapons, period, under any circumstances. The next day in Poland, the president casually remarked to American troops stationed there that some of them had already been in Ukraine and others would be going soon. Soon another administration, Humpty, was on the line to reporters, insisting that Mr. Biden's words were in no way inconsistent with the fact that the U.S. had no forces in Ukraine and no plans to send any. On Saturday, we had the most arresting breach between presidential words and improvised official definitions. At the end of an impassioned speech that denounced Vladimir Putin's aggression and framed the struggle as a battle between democracy and tyranny, Mr. Biden threw down the gauntlet, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power, he said. This apparent call for regime change in Moscow was, we were told, instantly nothing of the sort. Quote, the president's point was that Putin cannot be allowed to exercise power over his neighbors or the region. According to an unnamed White House official, he was not discussing Putin's power in Russia or regime change, don't you know? We can't go on like this. Credibility is essential to the effective and safe conduct of national security. No amount of hasty cleanup will erase the words that come from the lips of a commander-in-chief. And no, it is not a defense of the president to note accurately that his immediate predecessor may have had verbal indiscipline as well. For now, we have an immediate and escalating problem with this presidency. We can certainly hope that Russians understand as well as we do that at 79, Mr. Biden is prone to saying things he doesn't mean, but we can't be so sure. What we can be sure of is that Mr. Putin, who has already whipped up his compatriots into a frenzy of paranoia about the real intentions of the U.S. in arming Ukraine, to wit, an attempt to weaken and destroy Russia itself, will seize on every piece of evidence he can find to bolster his case. Got that? Putin will seize on every piece of evidence he can find to bolster his case, and Joe Biden is shoveling it to him. Diplomacy is a subtle activity that combines artful deception with necessary candor. 
States convey to each other only what they want or need to convey. They willfully mislead each other about some aspects of their objectives and capabilities while drawing bright red lines around the non-negotiable truths. Strategic ambiguity helps induce in allies and adversaries alike a distinct uncertainty about intentions, but clarity is essential when the stakes are existential. Decoding these complex messages, sifting the signal from the noise, is the essence of successful statecraft. Mr. Biden's ongoing penchant for reckless language simply bludgeons through this delicate diplomatic infrastructure. It compromises the ability of the U.S. and its allies to achieve objectives while while significantly increasing the risk of miscalculation on the other side. John F. Kennedy said that during World War II, Winston Churchill mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. Mr. Biden seems intent on doing the same, only he may be sending it into battle on the wrong side. Nefarious times we live in or dangerous times we live in? I'm saying probably both. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios. Rick is in Phoenix. Hello there, Rick. Hello there, my friend Seth. How, How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well, too. Hey, did you get to see the Beach Boys when they were out at the Ostrich Festival a couple of weeks ago? No, I heard they were coming, and I guess I've never... Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen them. In oh, life. oh, wow. Okay. I don't well, I, I've never I seen them either. Yeah. I'd love to, though. <laughs> yeah, I. And yeah, that song just reminded me. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I don't know if I want to. I, no. I, well, I think it Are, would be sad. Oh well. Okay. I want to remember yeah. them as as the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I kind of got you. I kind of. Yeah. I I've seen some video of them in the past few years and yeah i can understand you know i don't yeah. i want to be charitable so i'll just leave it at that i, I can understand you can pick that. up what i'm putting down yeah yeah i can i can understand that i saw the monkeys in their you know the the last two monkeys when they were here yeah. in november i think uh nesmith died about a month later if i'm not mistaken so oh. i try I, I, yeah. I was at miles davis's last concert uh, I was at one of Maynard Ferguson's last concert. I don't think I should go to these live concerts. <laughs> That's not a good idea. Yeah, it, uh, boy, it, it's really a reminder of the passage of time, isn't it? Well, it is. It is. It is. Uh, it is. And oh, by man. the way, that Monkeys concert I went to yeah. uh, with Nesmith and uh, Mickey Dolenz, uh-huh. they shouldn't have been there either. Oh, no. That was oh, my no. point. That's yeah. the point I lost. They shouldn't well, have been there either. Yeah, well, the thing of it is, I mean, rock and roll is a great thing for the young and the young at heart and and those who still are able. Mm -hmm. But when you get past a certain age, you know, it's like it it does. Some people can do it. Some can't. You just, you know, everyone needs. I Know thyself, right? Yeah. And, um, for example, Gene Simmons. Yeah. I don't know if you had a – you probably don't listen to the Adam Carolla podcast very much, and I'm not in the business of promoting other shows, but it's a different platform. And I will tell you, it was one of the most fascinating interviews he did last week with Gene Simmons, age 72. Yeah. And still going strong. He can do it. 
Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, he okay. answered. He told us why, by the way. An amazingly talented man speaks five languages fluently, including the hard ones like. Wow. Yeah, like Hungarian. And he did That's so. That's astounding. Yeah, and Finnish and Hebrew Who? and English. And I don't know what the fifth one is. It's probably French. Who would ever guess? Well, you know, he <laughs> at, he's extremely articulate. Kind of yeah. sound. It's not like listening to William Buckley, but it's someone. It's like listening to someone who listens to William Buckley. Yes. and if that makes sense, and, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard some interviews. Oh, with he's him extremely that, uh, articulate. Impressive. English is second language. So Adam Kroll, I asked him, how is it he can keep going so strong? How is it he has you know his mental faculties so acute? Yeah. I did not know the answer. Uh-huh. That he gave. I didn't know this was true, and it is. I looked it up. Yeah. He never touched drugs or alcohol in his life, and he condemned those in his profession in which it is rampant. He said, the difference between me and most of the guys in my profession, I never touched drugs or alcohol. They were a Wow. Wow. Now, that's right. astounding. Yeah, isn't that, it? That I didn't is know that astounding. about him. I wouldn't have yeah, guessed I it either. I didn't either. No, I, I did not either. No. Well, you know, when you're talking about, you know, getting older, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, like the Rolling Stones, yeah. uh, who's their singer, you know. When I see him on stage yeah. and performing, it's like, Well, oh, Keith Richards man. is even worse than, than, than Mick Jagger. Who? Uh, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah oh, it's, it's, yes. It's, it's something out of the Adams family. I, yeah, I know. It's like, uh, man, I think they had to revive him out of their country. Yeah. Anyway, oh my goodness, we could go on. Hey, uh, what I was calling about, Seth, is uh, man, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, and I know I'm not the only one. I know there's millions of us out here who just appreciate uh, the way that you shed light on things. Thanks. And uh, your uh, monologue and your opening for the show today is very significant, very important. And it reminded me uh, several years ago. This has been—I can't even remember. This has been, you know, quite a few years ago. And I don't remember if it was Rush Limbaugh or it was Dennis Prager, but one or the other, maybe both of them, said that in regards to the uh, the 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 pro-gay movement uh, was kind of starting to pick up steam. You know, this was that long ago, and and uh, one of them or the other said. You know, the thing about it is, is first they want tolerance, and then they want acceptance, and then they demand promotion. And when you were talking about this school teacher that is adamant that, you know, he's got to be able to share his sexual life yeah. with this five-year-old, yeah. It reminded me of that. Yeah. We have arrived at a at a time when that's the mindset. And and you're right. And I was the same way. In school I never knew, you know, what kind of love life my teachers had unless it was a scandal. I'm trying to think <laughs> if I even knew of the spouse of any of my teachers. Right. I mean all the way through high school. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I I think I would have to agree with you on that because I think I was in the same boat. Some of my favorite and best teachers, I remember, they happened to be English ones, all three of them. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. nothing to this day about – and I don't know that it matters whether you know I knew cursorily a little bit about them or not. But I'm just telling you, I mean, I these people helped shape my life in a way I still you know remember very specific things they taught me. 
right. never knew it. They never brought their home life into the classroom. Never. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and Seth, you can do it. Of, I don't think I've ever brought my home life onto the show. You can do yeah, this. Right. Most people don't. My, do you know anything? Do you know anything about you know most of your favorite radio host spouses? You, they do three uh, hours a day every yeah. single day. You don't know about them. Right. Right. You don't need to. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads me to uh, maybe the 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 penultimate point here is Seth in the last election don't I remember correctly that about half voted one direction and half voted the other they say that give or take yeah yeah give or take uh huh so where in the world are the 50% of teachers uh, uh. that hold traditional conservative Decent values. I know some have called into your show, and inevitably, uh, one of the things they mentioned is, you know, they can't mention mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's what they believe. But I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, you know, the impression is that 99% of the teachers believe that this stuff is correct, and that surely cannot be true. Well, I, actually, let me hold you over because I have some interesting uh, thoughts and statistics on that. Uh, okay. Believe it or not. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Rick. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rick is asking us. Rick, you still there? Still here, sir. Rick, Rick was asking, you know, you listen to these teachers uh, who seem to be on the vanguard of the woke of the woke, particularly when it comes to uh, diversity, inclusion, and um, and equity training or transgender stuff, and raises a good question. You know, you think about a one-third, one-third, one-third nation or maybe 50R, 50D in voting. Where, where are the conservative teachers? Where are the, uh, where are the common sense-oriented teachers? An interesting thing about this is, you know, not every profession necessarily looks like the rest of America. And while surveys show generally elementary and secondary school teachers, when polled individually, come out just a little left of center to the rest of the population, uh, understand the ethos of the teaching profession where, first of all, at the conventions – they constitute routinely – 2020 was different because of the way they ran their convention. But in previous uh, election year conventions, teachers' unions comprised 10 percent of the audience, which is the single largest entity at the Democratic National Convention. I meant to say at the Democratic National Convention. They constitute 10 percent of the Democratic National Convention, which wow. is the single largest entity of anything, one. Two, look at, at the teachers' unions' political giving. Uh, the AFT and the NEA constantly claiming the need for more money in the classrooms as they yeah. pay themselves high six-figure salary ranges don't donated over thirty-five million dollars to Republicans in the twenty twenty campaign. What did I, did I say that wrong? I said I meant to Democrats. Did I say okay. to Republicans? I, yeah. Yeah. So I blew the point in a big way. Spent no, no. over thirty-five million dollars on Democrats in the twenty twenty election. So there's this ethos of where the profession is. Yeah. And I'm guessing, like in any other organization, even corporations that might have conservative workers or common sense oriented workers, it's like the problem you have with most of Americans and the cultural elite. The cultural elite sound like they're in charge. 
yeah. appear to be in charge, want people to think they're in charge. And though they are not representative of the vast majority of Americans' views, the vast majority of Americans either ape what they are saying or are cowered into silence thinking they are out of sync with what most people think. Yeah, yeah. I know I know. for years I remember hearing about the situation with the unions yeah. in general, not yeah. just not teachers' unions, yeah. but the unions in yeah. general, that the union bosses or hierarchy or yep. whatever were just overwhelmingly left, but the unions themselves, I mean the union members themselves, were overwhelmingly uh, you know, conservative. Well, I can't say that they're overwhelmingly conservative anymore. They're overwhelmingly moderate. This is what happens when you build a profession that requires education degrees from teachers' colleges. You slowly move the conservatives out and bring the liberals in. So we've gone from, using your equation, conservative to moderate. What was it? Tolerate to acknowledge to uh, to embrace. That's what we're having. We used to tolerate the conservatives. We're now throwing them out of the profession. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.